Our first reading is from the prophet Isaiah, and it's printed in the middle of your bulletin insert if you'd like to follow along. In preparation to hear these words, let us turn our hearts in prayer. Holy God, we give you thanks for these ancient words and for the communities that have passed them down throughout the ages. We ask that you would open our hearts anew this morning, that we might hear a word from you this day. Amen. A shoot shall come out of the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Holy One shall rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and reverence of the Holy One. His delight shall be in the reverence of God. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist, and faithfulness the belt around his loins. The wolf shall live with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf and the lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put its hand on the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on all of my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of knowledge of God as the waters cover the sea. On that day, the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal to the peoples. The nations shall inquire of him, and his dwelling shall be glorious. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Good morning. I bring you greetings from San Francisco Theological Seminary. I'm always grateful to be here, and even when I'm not here, I'm grateful for all the ways that the seminary is in partnership with 7th Avenue um, through students and alumni um, being here and serving uh, through the Diploma in the Art of Spiritual Direction program, through Companions on the Inner Way. Our lives in ministry are, are intertwined and it is a great joy uh, for me when Jeff says that I am a part of the diaspora. I claim it. I claim it. So in good seminary fashion, I'm going to give you an assignment before we read the scripture. I want you, the theme for Advent is light, so I want you to listen for the light imagery in the text. And after I read the text, there will be a quiz. <laughs> So get ready and listen up. Here's the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 3, starting in verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. 
Now John wore clothing of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then the people of Jerusalem and all Judea were going out to him and all the region along the Jordan, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our ancestor, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I'm not worthy to carry his sandals, he will baptize you with Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Please pray with me. Holy God, be with us particularly when we read scripture that makes us squirm in our seats. Open our eyes, open our hearts to receive your word, your love, your grace, so that we can bless the world. Amen. So, where did you see light in that text? Anyone? Fire. A baptism by fire, quenching fire. When we look at this text, when we look at the light in this text, the light is a little startling, even upsetting. The light that we usually think that we're looking for at Advent, it's not supposed to look like this, and for good reason. Embedded in our culture, we too often expect light to be good and nice. Light is warming, the light and warmth of the sun on our skin that takes away the chill of a winter's day. Light is revealing something that was obscure is now made clear. Light is freeing, a pillar of light that leads us toward freedom. There is a dominant construction of light and dark imagery in our culture that is binary and dualistic and that privileges light. And that's an interpretation that we bring to Scripture. And indeed, a number of passages of Scripture certainly lift up light as a healing and revealing and comforting image. God is my light and my salvation. Arise, your light has come, your light will break forth like the dawn. A people living in darkness have seen a great light. In this construction of our poetic world, we expect the light to be a comfort. I want to suggest an alternative that may help us to bear the burden of the light in this Advent text. Next month, John Philip Newell, a writer and poet of Celtic spirituality that I'm sure some of you know, will be coming to the seminary, and so I've been reading up. Celtic spirituality suggests another approach to light and dark. Celtic spirituality invites us always to look for the presence of God in all creation. 
And so it suggests that light and darkness are both part of creation, both part of one whole life. Neither is bad nor good. Both are part of one whole. Night flows into the subtle grays and pinks of the dawn. The light warms the earth as we move towards noon, and then the shadows lengthen as the sun sinks into the horizon and into sunset and dusk as we settle into the companionship of evening and the deep and holy rest of night as we are refreshed for more life and the sun rises again and then it sets. Light and dark, day and night, summer and autumn and winter and spring, the rhythm of one whole life. And scripture gives us hints of this too. In the beginning, God creates both light and dark, and she separates them into night and day, each and both part of one whole and good creation. The psalmist reminds us that God knit us together in the shelter of our mother's womb. Our first experience of life was in the comfort and nurture of darkness. At one point, scripture tells the Exodus story and says that God put darkness between Pharaoh and the people as a way of leading the people out of bondage. We live in both light and darkness, one whole life. So as we approach this Advent text this morning, I suggest that we stand in this Celtic sense of light and dark, both part of one whole life, because sometimes in our poetic world, in our inhabited world, light is harsh. Light can show us more than we want to see. Sometimes we'd rather view the world through the gauzy lens of an Instagram filter. Bring down the light just a little bit. Sometimes light can feel unbearable. That's how it is in the story of John the Baptist, because the light here, the light that John the Baptist is talking about, is the light of judgment. And as I was working on the sermon, I don't think that I have ever spoken plainly about the light of judgment in a sermon anywhere, and for good reason. <laughs> for many of us, the notion of judgment has been used as a weapon for those of us who have been wounded by the church, it has been used as a threat and a cudgel. So before I say anything else, I want to recalibrate this for us. I think of judgment as the fullness of the whole of our life coming into the light. Everything that we've done, all the systems that we participate in, the full reality of all of that out in the light. We recognize that together and alone, we are broken people. We bring that into the light. We are honest. And only then can we move into healing and forgiveness and freedom. It is the prayer of confession. We are honest about who we are as an essential part of grasping and claiming the fullness of our created being and the fullness of God's absolutely unconditional love for us. And so here in this text, John comes, John the Baptist, in his crazy hair shirt and eating locusts and honey. 
He comes out into the wilderness, the blazing light of the wilderness, and the people follow. The city empties out and folks come. They come for baptism and for repentance. There's another one of those words. In the Greek, repentance is turning in transformation and change, and it is a moral imperative that is necessary to save our lives. It is turning ourselves toward the way of life. It is turning the world that is upside down, right side up. So all the people, they leave the city, the center of power, and they go out into the wilderness, out into the margins, and power follows them out there, those Pharisees and those Sadducees, because power doesn't like to be left alone. Power needs to know what's going on. And John speaks to power, and he speaks of the light. All that is wrong is going to be brought out into the light. A baptism with revealing, quenching fire. There is one who is coming with light. In the wilderness, he is bringing everything into the light. In their wilderness. How about ours? I don't know about you. But to me, these times feel like a wilderness. A harsh, dry space where all the markers are gone. These times where we were having to face so many truths about this nation. Where there's no longer anywhere to run, anywhere to hide, all is laid bare. And I do want to talk about this past month and the aftermath of our national election. But before I do that, I want to say this about our times. We are now about two and a half years beyond Ferguson and the police killing of Michael Brown. And in those two and a half years, cell phones and the internet have brought into full public light the daily threat of state-sanctioned violence that African Americans face nearly every day. The killings of unarmed African Americans by the police, by vigilantes, by terrorists, Michael Brown, Freddie Gray, Sandra Bland, Eric Garner, Trayvon Martin, the good folks praying at Mother Emanuel AME Church, Alton Sterling, Philando Castile, and so many more, too many more. Those killings and the total lack of accountability for those who perpetrate them brought out into the light. And I say that because what we have seen so publicly in these past few years is nothing new. It is part and parcel of America's 400-year-long history of racism. What has long been known and experienced by African Americans can no longer be avoided or denied by white Americans. Black writers like ta Coates have put words to the experience. Black scholars like Michelle Alexander and Isabel Wilkerson have explained how the entirety of American legal and economic systems have perpetuated a racial caste system, all brought out into the light. And I start there because the election that we just experienced is connected to that 400-year-old history. We haven't endured an election campaign where the rhetoric from the man who will soon be president has mocked the disabled, 
threatened immigrants in our country, demeaned the lives and communities of African Americans, recounted his own physical assault of women, and stated his intention to undo constitutional protections for LGBTQ families and for just about everyone else. And all that ugly and all that hate is lying there, seething out in the open in the full light of day, and it is nothing new. And as we watch an administration form at its center, we see one who has led something called Breitbart News, a self-described media, media platform for the white supremacist neo-Nazi alt-right movement. Have you seen the rallies? What was hidden now feels permission to come out into the light. Virulent anti-Semitism and racism and sexism and homophobia with chants of Hail Trump accompanied by a Nazi salute. And again, I need to say, this is nothing new. Racism, sexism, anti-Semitism. Now it is all out there in the light, in the light of judgment where what is hidden is now in plain view. And I don't know about you, but for the past month, I have felt almost physically ill, and there's no sign that it's going to go away. I think it hits me in two places. It hits me in my place of, places of oppression. I am genuinely fearful for LGBTQ people in our families. And it hits me in my places of privilege. As I see privilege of race and class and gender manifest in a way that calls into account my own participation in American systems of power and domination. And I've talked to others who are feeling like this, each from our own social location, each with our own experience, and in the laid bare enormity of this, we're expressing this feeling of helplessness. And I think part of what we need to find somewhere and somehow is our agency, our power to do something in a world that feels like it is spinning dangerously out of control. We desperately need agency and we need some hope. And all this all this is here in this scripture text too. All this light, the wilderness, the powers, and our agency, and believe it or not, hope. Because John, Don, John doesn't just say all that is hidden will come into the light. He also says this, one is coming. One is coming. And then he says, repent, transform, transform yourself and join together in transforming this world. The text begins in the light, the glaring, strident, truth-telling light, and then it brings us hope and it gives us something to do. Christ is coming. Transform the world. Because this moment, it's just one moment in one whole story, one moment in one whole life. And we know the story. We know the one who is coming. We wait in Advent for God to come. God is coming, Emmanuel, God with us. God is coming in the deep dark of a starlit night. God comes to us in the birth of Jesus Christ. Jesus enters life just like we do from the warmth and intimacy of his mother's womb birthed into the chill of the world. 
And one of his first experiences, even as an infant, is the threat of power, the threat of genocide as Herod hunts the Christ down. And in the safety of nighttime, Joseph and Mary and Jesus flee to Egypt. Years later, they return and Jesus grows and enters with us into the whole of life. All of our suffering, all of our joy, all of our pain, all of our sorrow. And he does this, and as he does this, he calls his disciples. Jesus invites us to join in the whole of life with one command. Love. Love God with all our heart, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor. Jesus says all of life is fulfilled in that. All the law, all the prophets, all of life fulfilled in love, fulfilled in Christ. And Jesus says this to those whom he calls. You will need to keep bringing all this into the light. He tells them everything that is, has, is hidden will be brought into the light. What I am telling you now in the dark, you must proclaim in the daylight. And then he says, we will transform the world together in love. And then he says, and that world will look like this. Blessed are the poor and the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for justice, for the right rising of the world, for they will be feared, filled. This is the world that's brought out into the light, and this is the work, this is the work that we have to do together. That is the call and the hope in their wilderness and in ours. We are called to continue to bring true things into the light. Not to shirk away, but to keep watch every moment as this new administration begins to wield its power. Because all this has been hidden for way too long and because the stakes are way too high. And then we're called to repent, to act to resist the powers, to transform the world with love, to claim our agency to do good. We're not helpless. We're not on our own. We are together in the wilderness, and one is coming with world-transforming power of love. We know this whole story. We know this whole life, and we know where it will take the one who comes. Even in Advent, we know this. Jesus will come, and he will confront the powers, and it will lead him to arrest and trial and death. And, and we know that in the deep dawn of the third day, in that holy place where darkness and light mingle and dance, in that moment, in this moment, we will find resurrection. In that moment, we find that the powers of the world ultimately hold no sway. In that moment, we find the world-transforming, healing, saving power of love. John is standing there in the wilderness pointing us to this moment. And in this moment, what we find there, what we find here in this moment, is our one whole life.